This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Ernest Hemingway was a literary giant. He won both the Nobel Prize for Literature and the Pulitzer Prize during his lifetime. He loved the outdoors and he loved adventure. His experiences as a fisherman and sometimes fly fisher and a big game hunter provided the grist for a lot of his short stories and his books. But he was also a tortured soul who bore unseen emotional scars. Today we're going to broaden our topic a bit from fly fishing to talk about Ernest Hemingway, the great outdoors, and the quest for the good life. What we want to examine is the connection between the great outdoors and the quest for the the good life. Uh, To what extent does the former, the great outdoors, give us the latter, the good life? And we've chosen Ernest Hemingway because he's really a window uh, into this question. Yes, I think using Hemingway is great because I think he was a pioneer in many ways of the outdoors. And so he's a hook. He's a reason to get into this topic, which I think is a really interesting topic as we think about our lives and and, and our relationship to what we love, our passion, which is fly fishing. So Dave, let's start with what we love about Hemingway. Some people may not be as, some listeners may not be as familiar with him. Uh, Maybe they uh, were forced to read something by Hemingway in high school and and that's been it. But uh, what is it that intrigues us about him? Well, as you already noted, as we talked just briefly, that he did popularize the outdoor life, I think, because, you know, his writing, certainly the book, The Old Man and the Sea, and think about Ernest Hemingway, we think about almost a playboy. He was really, in a sense, 20 years prior to Lee Wolf. I mean, Hemingway started writing in the 20s, and then you know, in the early 30s, and he was doing a lot of this outdoor stuff yeah. way before the advent of yeah. people like Lee Wolf, mm-hmm. who popularized, you know, fly fishing. But sure. the fishing stories in his early short stories, the Nick Adams stories, mm-hmm. you know, his upland game in, in Idaho and his fishing on the sea, he really is a dominant American figure, uh, outdoors figure, and well, as liter- literary figure in the, tw- in the 20th century. So what, what do you love about him? Well, his writing is amazing. I mean, he was, he was trained as a journalist, never went to college, but he... Kansas City Star. Right, he yeah, started out as a job cub reporter. writing for the Kansas City Star. And so because of that, he wrote in these short declarative sentences. And I, I like to think that his writing had six-pack abs. You know, there was just no fat. It was mean and lean. And I, I remember somebody saying about Carl Sandburg. Uh, something that I think applies to Hemingway, and that is that he wrote with a healthy distrust of adjectives and, and adverbs. Uh, you know, others would write that a big trout swam quickly upstream. Hen- Hemingway, I just looked back the other day, I just kind of scrolled through some of the Nick Adams stories, and he talks about how a big trout shot upstream and then tightened facing the current. Well, wow, that, that's... that's- yeah, that's just economical, isn't it? But, but he's it using economical. those words that, that really, uh, wow, they're, they're just bursting with life, You know, they? he really innovated in that sense with his writing, very sparse. And if yes. you look at his mm-hmm. writing, in fact, if you look at the one of the best opening statements, I think it's like runs almost a full paragraph, 
or best opening lines of a, of a book is his farewell to arms. Oh, and if yeah. you look and read that, he has created this unbelievable image in your mind. Mm-hmm. And he's done it with words that have one syllable. Yeah. And maybe that's why there's a classic fly fishing book that, that I'm not going to mention because I have no intention of disparaging the author, but people have raved about it for years. And I think both you and I started, we we're going to read it last year, and I started it. And yeah, I was like, man, I can't get through this. Yeah, just all this flowery prose and, and adjectives of, and yeah, adverbs. Over the top and, descriptions. Yeah, exactly. It's like, wow, Hemingway has ruined me. <laughs> he has. Yeah. Well, you can always tell a, a nascent writer or you newbie writer because they always mm-hmm. want to tell you, I'm writing, I'm writing. Yeah. And so they yeah. use all this language and stuff. <laughs> But the real sophisticated oh. writers are understated oh, and subtle. Really and Hemingway was the master. Oh. He pioneered that whole method. He was. So what's your favorite short? What are your favorite short stories or one of them? Well, um, I would say of all of them, and I love his short stories. In fact, I would say that Hemingway was probably, outside of Old Man in the Sea and Farewell to Arms, his short stories were really great. My, my favorite was The Short Happy Life of Francis McCumber. And it's in one of his short story collections, and it's really about a safari. And the great, it's about a really rich man and his really beautiful wife. And the story ends with his wife shooting this charging buffalo that is about to gore her husband, but instead of shooting the buffalo, she ends up shooting her husband in the head. (laughs) And so, and one of the great lines in this short story was, and she was too beautiful for him to divorce, and he was too rich for her to leave. Oh, wow. wow. And so you just That's, see this toxic man, no resentment kidding. between the two of them, oh. and she starts like hitting on the guide. And you know, it's classic Hemingway, yeah. right? This unbelievable dysfunction. Wow. But it is one of the best short stories ever. I love that short. Wow. The short, happy life I've not of read Francis that. McCumber. Huh. I've not read How about that. you? Wow. Um, I'd have to say. Big Two-Hearted River. That was uh, that was a Nick Adams story. Actually, that is a great. I first story. read that in high school. We had to write it or read it, and I was kind of annoyed with my uh, uh, my teacher because I thought, oh, she's trying to read too much out of it. It's just a cool story, but but she was right, and I learned that later. But yeah, that, that's a very poignant, moving story. He comes back from the war, and and of course, you know that Hemingway is kind of talking about himself in, yeah, in that sure. story. So, favorite book? You know, you have to say, at least I have to say, The Old Man and the Sea. Yeah, I know you, you know good. we all had to read that yep. in high school. But in my 30s, I went on a couple years where I read everything that he wrote. And I read a lot of the short stories. I, I wouldn't say everything he wrote. I would say maybe 70% of what mm-hmm. Henry wrote. But the book I actually liked the most may have been James Mello's biography of oh, him. Oh, yeah. And the, yeah. and the title says everything, A Life Without Consequences. Wow. That's, that's the name Man. of the biography. That's right. And it, it was so interesting and so insightful about his life. And one of the great lines in that book that James Mello came up was, was this. Ernest Hemingway would always give a man a helping hand who was on a ledge a little bit higher up than he was. Wow. Think about that. Man. Ernest Hemingway would always yeah. give a man, a helping hand, who was on a ledge, not below him, but a little yeah. bit higher up than he was. So he was, a, a he was a social climber. <laughs> wow. You know, this is a fly fishing podcast, but I have to say, what you talked about reading Hemingway in your 30s, and 
you're, you're such a good writer, Dave. I mean, anyone listening who's an aspiring writer, maybe you want to be an outdoor writer, write about fly fishing. Uh, the best training is to read good writers. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, you, you'll get more out of that than, than going to journalism school somewhere, making that a major. Not, not saying you shouldn't do that, but uh, good writers uh, learn by reading, uh, you know, good writers. That's yeah. just how it and you is. You can always tell someone who wants to be an aspiring writer, and you ask them what they're reading. And if they're all just reading popular stuff, yeah. you realize, eh, you're, how far you grow is going to be limited. You yep. just have to read, like, Faulkner and Hemingway and Annie yep. Dillard Steinbeck and, Steinbeck yeah. and, and Wallace Stegner. These were yep. just giants. Oh, they so, really anyway. were. Yeah, I guess for my favorite book, it's it's probably A Farewell to Arms. Yeah, that, that opening section is just classic. And yeah, it really is. I have to say, though, I've read more of Hemingway's short stories. I haven't read as much of Hemingway as you have. I did read Old Man in the Sea, and it is terrific. It's a... Uh, it's really a novella, isn't yeah. it? That just it's like a river runs through it. Yeah, really. I mean, I think my copy is 124 pages, but it's larger type, and there's a lot of white space <laughs> in the margin. So, and now a word from our sponsor, Dave. I never thought that I would get excited about soap, but uh, I, I just love the the Doctor Squatch soap that you and I have been using recently. It's left you speechless. It's left me speechless. <laughs> so this is a true story. So Dr. Squatch is our sponsor, so they, they give us free soap. But I ran out of it because I have two 22-year-old boys living with us this summer. My son Christian, who's just here for a couple months, and then also my nephew, who's also 22. And I'm telling you, they... I'm trying to hide my Dr. Squatch soap, <laughs> specifically the pine tar. Oh, I love the pine tar. That's my favorite. So I, we are big fans of Dr. Squatch soap, and you can get shampoo, you can get conditioner. What we really love, we love that too, but we love those pars of soap. Now let's talk a little bit about exfoliation. Do you know anything about exfoliation? No, I don't, except it takes the dead skin off. That's a, just a lovely thought, isn't it? It really but is, I, and I think pine the, tar does yeah, that. The, yeah, their bar, I think they put crushed up seashells in that. Oh I my. think that's what uh, uh, what does it, but it's it's great. I, I just love the smell of that and the, the feel of it. It's uh, uh, it's good stuff, so hey, uh, we, we would uh, encourage you, uh, give it a try. Uh, when you go to their website, and, and the information will be on our show notes, uh, you can type in the promo code two guys that's the number two g-u-y-s two guys if you do that you'll get a 20 percent discount so go to drsquatch.com and fill up your shopping cart today what have we observed about the larger than life outdoor people like hemingway and again here's a guy whose dad was a doctor he you know he grew, grew up in, a few a minutes from family. here yeah he he lived in oak park illinois uh, family cabin in northern Michigan where he got his fill of hunting and fishing and like you said Dave he became a cub reporter for the the Kansas City Star uh, never went to college but he traveled to Italy with the military by the end of his life he'd lived in Chicago Toronto Paris London Key West and Havana uh, just a you know, pretty amazing guy a lot of stories we could tell he I read once that he bought a boat and outfitted it with enough explosive to sink a German submarine. And oh that, my. that kind of allowed him to play war with his buddies who joined him for fishing and drinking, although I don't think it was necessarily no. in that order. But uh, yeah, he, he was a Pulitzer, Nobel Prize winner, 
used to travel to Spain for bullfights, to Africa for safaris, and I, I mean, just had this, you know, the, all these adventures, and then eventually bought a home in Idaho Sun Valley that, that allowed him to hunt and fish, and he, he said it reminded him of Spain. So the idea of talking about Hemingway is we're using Hemingway's story as a hook to really talk about what most of us fantasize about, at least I have through much of my life, this idea of being able to live a life like Hemingway, to be able to have this outdoor life, which is what I would love to have. I grew up in the Dakotas, and you know, I grew up hunting and fishing, and, and yet you know, at some point you get a job, you get a family, you gotta, you gotta do the daily grind, but still in the back of their, your mind, you look at these professionals, maybe they're professional fly fishing guides, but you look at the profession, or the people who are able to have this large outdoor experience, adventure lifestyle, and you go, ah, I think that's the good life, and it's the good life that I don't have. But what you realize is that people like Hemingway and like Joan Wolf. I, I recently listened to a podcast, I've mentioned this, that April Volke did with her. Joan Wolf, of course, is the legendary flycaster and and she was the wife of Lee Wolf. And April Volke has this wonderful podcast called Anchored. And I think April's now living in, in Australia. I think she's from Canada, but she did this really, I would say of all the interviews that April has done, the one she did with Joan Wolf was unbelievable because there was this connection between the two and she got a, Joan Wolf to say some things. Basically, Joan Wolf left her husband and two kids to, to start her life with, with Lee Wolf, and it was a wonderful life. And in that episode, she talks about regrets. Now, she never said she regretted moving off with, with Lee, but she talked about the regrets of what that did to her children. Yeah. And I think the point simply is, is that when we look at people who have these lives, these big lives, mm -hmm. people like Joan Wolf and, and Hemingway, Hemingway was kind of a life of wretched excess, yeah, right? It so was. I'm not sure in some ways he's even a good example, but right. he is in the sense yeah. of you look at his life and you think, man, I, I would have loved to have a life like Hemingway, right? And, and do the outdoors. And yet you look at his life and you go, man, the pursuit of all that still didn't really bring him well, no, happiness, no. right? I mean, he, he committed suicide at age 61. And, and I don't want to oversimplify this because, you know, we know that he suffered from some mental and physical deterioration that was brought on by mental disease. And so that was a part of it. But, you know, he, he drank heavily and, and so we're not, you know, trying to be simplistic, but we're just saying, you know what, just, you know, the, the great outdoors, as great as it is, it's, it's not enough yeah, uh, it's by not itself. A, a, it's a qualified good, but it can't save yeah. your life, right? No. You know, I think uh, we just read that piece by, uh, it was a piece on Hemingway's third wife, Martha Gellhorn. And she was a literary author herself. In fact, one of the great stories is that Ernest Hemingway was in a boat off of Normandy Beach, reporting on the, on the, on the invasion, on D-Day. His wife, and I don't know if they were still married at the time, Martha had stolen aboard a medical boat, and she actually was on the beach. Yeah. So she was there moving you know, bodies, and it was an amazing oh, story. Yeah. But even Martha, Martha had this big literary life herself outside of of um, Hemingway in the shadow of Hemingway because she was married to him for right. a while but she too at 89 years old committed suicide when I read that I was so like mm -hmm. sad for her and but what we see in Hemingway and everyone else that we've ever known is that the good outdoor life 
has its limits. Yeah, and it really does. It's satisfying, but it's mm -hmm. not fully satisfying. Yep. In fact, if you chase it directly, you probably end up enjoying enjoying it less. Maybe that's true about a lot of things, yeah. right? It's an easy mistake to make, you know, thinking that the outdoors is, is life itself as opposed to uh, a gift to enjoy. So how do you view the outdoors, Dave? Well, I think you, we may have alluded to this, but every chance I get to be in the outdoors is a gift. I'm at the age where I think I know what I want to be when I grow up. I still think some days it's 100% fly fishing and hunting if I could do it. But, you know, I know that that's not true anymore. I recently read a piece by um, Richard Branson. It was an interview with Richard Branson, the great entrepreneur who started Virgin and Virgin Airlines and Virgin Records. And, but he talked about these, these guys, these entrepreneurs who had created companies, sold them, made a lot of money and then are completely miserable. And yeah. it's kind of the same thing, right? You think this dream of running your business that you're gonna flip it, make a lot of money, you can live the good life. As I think about all this, I think, so what's the proper view of the outdoors, right? So mm -hmm. how should we think yeah. about that? Well, I know I'm really at peace with even having moved from Montana back to the Chicago area. If, if the outdoors was everything, I, I never would have left there, but there's other parts of life and I, and I, I do still, I'm very well aware of how life-giving the outdoors is. And I'm, I'm looking forward to a trip that uh, I'll take in about a week after uh, recording this podcast. Probably about the time people are listening, I'll be in Montana with my family and, and, and fishing up in the mountains. South Without me. The, I know, I know. But, hey, we'll make it up. We're going to get back out there this fall. Yep, we've got so, the... Uh... This but, fall, we're going to head out. Yeah, but it, it really is. Uh, it, it's a, it's a life-giving. Uh, the, the outdoors really is life-giving without being that sole source of life. You know, there's more to it than that. What do you think? Well, I'm just so grateful that I grew up in the outdoors like yes. I did in North Dakota. And in junior high, my dad, I had a horse called Trigger. And we kept the horse just outside of Bismarck, which is the capital of North Dakota. So I had to ride my bike probably two, three miles um, to the edge of town where there was a pasture. But I just remember after school, I'd take my bike, go out there. I'd feed my horse. We had some oats that we would feed. feed I think it was oats and molasses, this mix that we would have to feed my horse. And then mm -hmm. I'd go out and I'd shoot gophers with a BB gun or I'd trap them and just all these mm -hmm. things in the yeah. outdoors that were such a gift. The one thing I wish I could give younger fly fishers and people who are coming up now is the experience of being on the rivers without the crowd. Yeah, yeah. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Yep. We have that memory and mm -hmm. I miss I wish I wish people going out now could realize what it's like to be the only person who's probably fly fish that thing in a, in you know in weeks and days. But now you go out and there's always people up and down the trail. It's just different. It's yeah, not bad, yeah. but it's just different. It so is. I'm just so grateful for the chance I had and um, to grow up there. The other thing we were talking about, about what the outdoors really gives us, which is kind of like a collateral. It's not the thing itself that gives us joy. It does. Like going out and fly fishing is wonderful. But it's all the memories that we have to talk about oh, later. Oh, it right? is. It is. Is that not like the best part of the outdoors? Is the stories we tell? Oh, it is, and that's why we, we love sitting here. I mean, I look forward to, uh, you know, Fridays. It's it's my day off, and Dave takes a day off, and we, we get together and and uh, so much of this podcast is yeah, all about that, right? That's right. I mean, that's we, why we, we started it. Yeah, we talk about uh, some <laughs> of our experiences and memories, and those do bring 
joy. I'm, I'm thankful for those. And, and yeah, I, I feel more, far richer for uh, those. And, and yeah, we, we want to get out and continue to enjoy the outdoors, but those memories are huge. They are. I also think when you're actually in the outdoors, it's sometimes very difficult to live in the moment. You know, when I'm oh, fly fishing, is. I find myself having to force myself to say, you know, you've taken one week out of the year, you're in Montana, you're in Yellowstone, just, what's the phrase? I'm trying to suck savor all the marrow yeah. out of the bone or just yeah. really savor enjoy it, it. savor yeah. it. Ah, I know. And not think about when it's going to be. Sometimes when I take a trip like that, I think, oh, man, I've just started this trip. I only got four more days. Oh, we only got three more days. Oh, we've only yeah. got two more days. Oh, no, I this know. is our last day of fly fishing. I know. And that's crazy. I'll have the same kind of thoughts. I'll be thinking, wait a minute. I, I look forward to this all year. for the whole year. And, and today, I'm, I emotionally, I'm about a five, which is not bad. But I, I ought to be at a <laughs> ten. You know, I ought to be on top of the world. But... Uh, Life is so weird, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. Really it's is. about. I just think the outdoors yeah. is this wonderful gift. Yeah. I think if you you think it's going to satisfy everything in your life, you know, good luck with that. And yeah. and that's what we're suggesting. I mean, yeah, I guess the exactly. bottom line is the outdoors is a wonderful place to experience the good life, but it's not everything. It doesn't no, solve doesn't life's solve bigger big problems. Problem. And there's I, there's this phrase that I heard from a coach that I had for my business early on. And I don't know if it's a, an Irish phrase because he is Irish and it came from him, but it, he has this phrase, wherever you go, there you are. Basically saying, yeah. like Hemingway, if you're kind of a jerk and you're kind of miserable, you're going to be miserable in the outdoors, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> right? right? Or you're going to be miserable at work or you're going to be miserable right. with your family. So there is this sense in which for, you, for us to fully enjoy the outdoors and to really appreciate it, we have to kind of figure a few things out in our own head before we can do that. You do. It enriches your life, but it's not all there is to life. Uh, for us, it's a gift that flows from our faith. Uh, we treasure the outdoors, but not over our families no, and, and not sure. even over our careers. Uh, but we'd be far poorer without the privilege of, of casting a fly on the water, that's for sure. But we'd be destitute if all we had was fly fishing. Yes, we would. Right? <laughs> Wow. Certainly, the way you fly fish, my yeah. friend. <laughs> oh, just just had to get that in there. That that just hurts. Well, although well, we could teach it, because it's always you yes. don't have to be a great fly fisher to teach fly fishing. No, no, you don't. No, that's right. <laughs> Those who can't teach, oh. isn't that the line? <laughs> oh man, I think it is. Well, here's a great comment by Lane in our podcast on mysteries of the fly fishing universe, part two. His comment on that podcast kind of ties into what we've been talking about today. Uh, this is what Lane writes. Lane says, Here is my take on the greatest mystery in fly fishing. Why do we spend so much money and time to travel to distant places to fish at the expense of, rather than in addition to, great water near our homes? I grew up in Utah, joined the Air Force, eventually landed in the Washington, D.C. area. I hung out at the local fly shop and got away to fish for trout every chance I could. Finally, one of the fly shop workers, an icon named Grizzly Lambert. Wow, you gotta love that name. Yeah, that's Grizzly awesome. Lambert. He threw his hands up in the air and asked, why don't you dance with the one that brought you? <laughs> when I confessed I didn't understand what he meant, he gestured toward the Potomac River and said, you have a great resource right here. Smallmouth, striper, shad, why don't you stop pining for your trout in the Rockies and learn about the great fishing right here? Oh, so I did. 
and discovered that I prefer the Potomac River to Alaska. Yes, I actually said that. I still have to satisfy my wanderlust, but not at the expense of really getting to know my local waters. In April of this year, my brother, who still lives in Utah, uh, he and I met up in Siesta Key, Florida to chase snook and tarpon and everything else that area has to offer. We had a great time catching multiple species of fish on the fly as we were discussing how awesome it would be to be able to live there and do that all the time we met a local fisherman who said he really didn't fish much around there because he really preferred his annual trips to you guessed it utah <laughs> oh that's so awesome yeah, that's really man, good that, that chastens you and me a little oh, bit man, doesn't it i, I know we're, we're always pining for montana Although I think we really have learned to appreciate. I the, love the driftless. The, the driftless. I really and, uh, do. I look yeah. forward to it. Yep. I really do. But no, so that's a that's a great quote. Thanks so that's much, so Lane. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Well, that's going to do it for today. Hey, what thoughts do you have on the role of the outdoors in your life? Both what it contributes, but also its limits. Please comment on this podcast link at twoguysinariver.com. Tell us what you think about enjoying the great outdoors, but also what keeps you from enjoying it. And thank you for referring our podcast to your TU chapter, Fly Fishing Club, friends. You know, that's how we grow. And we're just very, very grateful for your trust. And it's very obvious that many of you have referred our podcast through the years. We'd also love to hear your ideas for new episodes. So you can do that. Just find us on Instant Messenger, Two Guys at a River, and or just or Instagram. You can, you can direct message us on Instagram or just simply email us at Steve Dave, that's one word, at twoguysinariver.com. One more thing, and we say this at the end of every episode. If you haven't yet purchased our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish, Please do so at Amazon. Please join the thousands and thousands yes. that have. Yeah, that's right. And and drive it up to the New York Times bestseller. Hey, that's right. Yeah, baby. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Mm-hmm.